0: Welcome to Celebration Church, and uh, we're getting ready to do our Wednesday night Bible study. Hi to all of those here at Green Bay, as well as those over in Appleton, and our campus in Stevens Point, as well as so many people who watch us online. Good to have you with us. We are studying through the New Testament, doing it in the order that the events happened and the books were written. Uh, We are now in uh, chapter 23 of the book of Acts. Now, what happens here, I love this part of the of Acts, as I, I pointed out a couple of times already, is uh, now the writer of the book of Acts, Luke, is not only writing from what he knew had happened, he's writing from first-hand experience. From here on out, uh, and, and if you're reading, you'd notice the difference right away, the detail has popped alive as he recounts these events that happened. And I love it, you know, I'm he's essentially a storyteller. You know, people will have something happen to them and they'll say, well, you know, that happened, or else I'll make it a whole dramatic tale, tale. <laughs> where I tell you the blow-by-blows of this happened and that happened. Is, I find it much more interesting, actually. But what I love about when we get to this part of the book of Acts, so much more detail starts happening about, you know, every little thing that's going on. So Paul gets uh, his way into Jerusalem, and uh, he starts speaking to them about Jesus being the Messiah and stuff. Nobody had a problem with it. A lot of Christians at that time, Jewish Christians as well. In fact, Christianity was originally considered a Jewish sect. You know, a sect would be like, you know, in Christianity we have Catholics, Baptists, all different denominations are called sects, that kind of thing. In Islam, you've got, you know, the Sunni sect and the Shiite sect. It's basically the same thing, but different branches of it. And in Judaism, the two major sects, if you will, S-E. C-T-S, or the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Still all part of the same deal, but, you know, looking at it, it's kind of like Republican-Democrat kind of thing, you know, but over spiritual matters. They considered Christianity basically a Jewish sect. They're Jews, but, you know, you got Pharisees, Sadducees, and you got these Christian people. I mean, uh, you know. And then, of course, we've been talking about how Christianity starts turning majorly in favor, or the response of non-Jewish people is massive, throughout the known world at that time. And, but a lot of the Jewish people didn't like it. And as I pointed out last time, uh, oftentimes people say, well, the reason why Jews didn't accept uh, Christianity is they, could, they didn't want to believe in Jesus as the Messiah and stuff. And I challenge that and say, I, I don't see that at all. In fact, whenever these guys would get up and proclaim, generally speaking, about Jesus. Now, when Stephen first did, they stoned him over it. But by this point, there's so many believers. When Paul's talking about Jesus and the resurrection, and everything, they're all listening to him. What sets him off is when he talks about how God sent him to the Gentiles and they just went nuts because they didn't think this is the way it should be, that if people are going to be part of any connection to our faith, they have to become Jewish first and it just hits the fan and you've got uh, Jewish Christians and just straight up Jewish people. I mean, they get all mad. They all went crazy and they tried to uh, beat him to death. <laughs> At the end of uh, chapter 22, we're reading this dramatic thing. They're throwing dust in the air. And they're trying to go after him. And the Roman soldiers come over and say, what? What is going on? And they grab Paul and, you know, try to put him away from these people. And we've heard, he's got to be, you know, some kind of a rabble rouser. Let's, you know, beat him up, which they would just do. I mean, it wasn't like they had a lot of due process back then, uh, like today when you get arrested in certain rules and stuff. If you cause trouble, they just beat the snot out of you. even if It wasn't your fault. <laughs> So they grab Paul. They're about to beat the snot out of him. And Paul says to the guys, is it legal for you to beat a Roman citizen without a trial? They had protection. As soon as he found out he's a Roman citizen, the guy freaks, stops everything. They don't know what they're going to do. And, and they gather everyone together. And uh, we read at the end of chapter 23 at verse 30, The commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews. So the next day he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the members of the Sanhedrin to assemble. And then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. So here we now pick up the story. Now Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin. Remember so far, the way he ended it last time, I mean he's brilliant at the way he would take whatever to his favor that he could do. You know, pulling out, I'm a... Citizen card and all this kind of stuff. And just, you know, it's really interesting. So, Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God and all, in all good conscience to this day. So, he starts out, he's basically to them. Well, then at this, the high priest Ananias orders those standing near Paul to slap him across the mouth. Well, Paul, you know, oftentimes we... <laughs> I know we're supposed to turn the other cheek and, and all that kind of stuff. You know, what I love about Paul, Paul was intense. He was an in-your-face kind of guy, which those of us like that appreciate, someone to look up to. Uh, but uh, you know, instead of you know getting slapped in the mouth, he says, you know, well, I'm sorry, but praise the Lord. You can hit me this way too if you have. Paul doesn't do that. He barks back. God is going to smack you upside the head, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. He knew that it was a violation of what was going on. So he goes off on this guy. And then the guy standing near Paul said, dude, how dare you insult the high priest? And Paul goes, oh, brother, I didn't realize he was the high priest. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he immediately backs off. So he's got this just human part of him that stands up, but he knows that there's a certain group of people you have to treat with very much respect, and he quotes the scripture. Look, I didn't know. The scriptures say don't speak evil about the ruler of your people, and immediately he backs off, and he apologizes. All right, Now, what the high priest had done was wrong. It was in violation of the rules of the Sanhedrin and all, all the sort of things. Uh, but as soon as Paul found out who he was you know, just, it's just a sense of respect something you don't see much in contemporary Christianity today. most people love Christianity love it's a, it's a blood sport of just chewing up their leaders you know whoever their religious leaders of their churches are whether it's the pastors the elders and they get all these church wars going on and battles and just no respect they treat pastors like idiots and morons which we may be but A little respect, okay? So anyway, uh, so anyway, so boom, he gets smacked. He yells at the sky, oh, I apologize. This isn't starting out the way I hoped. And then it says, then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin. So immediately, he recognizes, oh, there's a bunch of Pharisees, oh, there's a bunch of Sadducees. And And he's got this brilliant mind. He thinks, ooh, I'll get them all yelling at each other. Okay, because the main argument between Sadducees and Pharisees is uh, Sad, uh, the, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They pretty much believe that when you're dead, you're dead, you're toast. Okay, they were Jewish just like everybody else. But when you're dead, yeah, that's that's it, that's a wrap. And the Pharisees, of course, not. There is eternal life afterwards. and So that was always the big argument. So uh, so he goes in. And he calls out in the Sanhedrin after looking at seeing who's around him, he says, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. Well, that's not really why he's on trial. Well, when he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say there is no resurrection. And that there's neither angels nor spirits. But the Pharisees believe all these things. And there was a great uproar. And some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We, we find nothing wrong with this man. <laughs> See, this is politics. They don't care 10 cents about Paul one way or the other. But it's just like these hot button issues. You know, it's like getting in the middle of Congress and debating Obamacare. Whee! Yeah. They going crazy. So, you know, all of a sudden, oh, no, he's a wonderful guy. We love this guy. I would have killed him three seconds ago, right? But, oh, no, if he's for the resurrection, then we're all for him. And um, uh, he says, we find nothing wrong with this guy. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? Or are they are just goading the other guys because the other guys don't believe in spirits and angels. They say, hey, listen, a spirit or an angel might have spoken to him. You know, he's just egging them on. So now they're just, and the dispute, the dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. So Paul is just brilliant. He gets into the situation. They smack him right away, just, you know, they, so he knows it's stacked against him. And the first thing he does is in an instant figures out his surroundings and gets them all yelling at each other. And they're trying to tear him apart. And the... Uh, the commander goes in, and, good grief, so he ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. So that was his day. Interesting. Now the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, so uh, a vision of something, whatever, or the Lord, however, it was not a vision, maybe he just actually stood by him, that's what it says. Jesus appears to him and says, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Now, this is the first hint that we get that confirms that Paul was doing the right thing, best as we can tell, in going to Jerusalem in the first place. Because the Lord shows up, listen, I'm not done with you. I want you to go on this path. You're following the right path, and encourages this Paul. There's still some debate over this. You know, someone would say, well, Paul, you know, Jesus at this point is just taking Paul where he's at and saying, look it, I still got to, you know, you know and that, that could be cool, right? The good news is the will of God isn't dependent on every little puke and little thing that you do. People think this way, you know, oh, I should have turned left to the corner and said I turned right and now I've missed the will of God and now I'm nothing but death. You know, and people think this way. And then some bigger things, I took the wrong, I shouldn't have taken that job, or I married the wrong idiot, should have married the other idiot. They get all these things, and they're convinced their lives are doomed. Stop! That is not the way, the will, of, the will of God is not so weak and fragile that you make one misstep, the whole thing falls apart. I think God is constantly jugg- jugg- juggling all the details. <laughs> oh, he did that again. Now straighten that out. The thing is to eventually get you into a certain place. So, some would say, at this point, now we say, okay, you really were supposed to be there. Um, Another argument could be, well, the Lord's just picking up the pieces where he's supposed to be. The reason we question it is because the whole time Paul's going to Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit keeps having people prophesy and warn him about going to Jerusalem. You're going to be in trouble. You're going to get arrested. And Paul wouldn't listen to anybody. Remember, all the believers were trying to convince him, don't go. And he says, I'm going to go. I feel compelled to go. So anyway, the Lord shows up and encourages him where he's at. Don't you love to be encouraged? Yeah. Sometimes you just need to be encouraged. It's okay sometimes just to tell the Lord. Lord, I just, I could use a little encouragement today. <laughs> I do that, man. I do that. And, and sometimes God shows up in just the littlest, coolest way something happened and I just feel so validated. All right. And the fact, to be honest with you, this happened about a week ago. A week ago, I got the, the, the dreaded man flu, which, which to any man knows that that's, that's next to death. All right, so Monday, I'm sick of a dog. Tuesday, I'm sick of a dog. Wednesday, that's <laughs> why so I made Joe go to work, so I stayed home. But I got to travel on the road and do one of these seminars. And I'm like, oh. going. <laughs> so I get on the plane Thursday, and I just, Bleh. and all day Friday, Bleh. I got to go on Friday night. I'm telling you, as soon as I took that microphone in my hand and stepped onto that stage, it was like everything disappeared. I had a full, complete, strong voice, high energy. I was shocked. The whole time I'm thinking, I had a hard time thinking, because I'm thinking, holy cow. (laughs) How's this even possible? And then I go to bed, I feel fabulous. I'm a wife, I feel fabulous. And the next morning, I go and I finish this thing up. I got energy coming out of my eyeballs. This is great, clear voice. Wonderful, right? I'm telling you, as soon as everything was done and everything was packed up, the second I walked out of that church and sat in the car, (laughs) I'm like, what is this? (laughs) Sicker than I was in the first place. Oh, man, it was awful. And then we had a, our flight got all screwed up and we had to check into some Cockroach Motel, and it was just horrible. And I'm, I'm laying in bed, and I'm telling my wife, I'm going to die. You're not going to die. Yes, I am. Make my last will and testament. Write it out right now. I'm going to die. It's, oh, it's awful. But I'm telling you, in the midst of all that, what was so encouraging to me is I felt like I was so validated that I should be doing what I'm doing. Because as soon as I stepped on that stage to minister to these families, boom, that thing left me. And I was like, I was perfectly healed and normal, clear as a bell talking. The second I was done. Bleh! Personally, I would have preferred just healed permanently. I know what the problems, but uh, I don't uh, I mean, you know, just that whole experience really encouraged me. I don't know if you care or not, but, <laughs> you know, it was something to me. So look, look for encouragement. Look at sometimes God will do things that show you that, hey, I'm on your side. You're doing the right thing, you know? And then... The darts might still come flying at you. It doesn't mean that stuff's all going to go away. It's just you want to know, and Paul is still in the midst. It wasn't like Jesus showed up and said, okay, you're out of here. Let's go. And everybody falls over dead, and he gets Paul, and he gets him out of there. Right? He could have done that. He didn't do that. He shows up, it's all going to be okay, and he leaves, and his life still sucks. Right? He's in jail. He's in prison. All right, so the next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy. And bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. <laughs> That's pretty intense, right? They swear to God in a public oath. I won't drink anything and I won't eat anything until I kill this guy. So you got this whole group of people They're. Maybe, maybe not want to sign up for that group <laughs> you know? yes let's kill him yes let's kill him what we're gonna do what man it's almost lunchtime don't say that you know so they make this big vow so the more than 40 men were involved in this plot which is just group san- insanity and, and sometimes it's actually easier to be stupid in a group if you doubt that just look at videos of young men running around doing insane, stupid things and jumping off of things. You ever see those things? are funny little videos that say, always say, this is why women live longer. And you see a bunch of guys doing something just so stupid. Why but it's like group think jumps in. And they're all, they're all egging each other on. Let's set ourselves on fire, see what happens. Oh. So more than 40 men, all these guys get together. And just, they're all crazy and they were involved in this plot. And they go to the chief priests and the elders and said, we have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything. Until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petition the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about his case. We are ready to kill him before he gets there. So they set out the plot. Go ask the commander. Listen, we, we need him to come back. Things got a little rowdy, you know, but we got we to gotta find more information. And thinking that the commander would have said, fine, and he probably would have. But they were going to lay in wait, knowing the path he would come, jumped out, killed him, and gone and got to McDonald's or something, get something to eat. But now, when the son of Saul, of of Paul's sister, so it's his nephew. Remember, Paul was a major player in Judaism at one time. Big stinking deal. In fact, he was the lead guy who was persecuting Christians in the beginning. He was right there from the beginning of all the heavy Christian persecution. And then he becomes a convert to Christianity. Dramatic turnaround. But he's from there. He's got family and stuff. So he's got uh, uh, his nephew uh, is, must have been, because Paul climbed up through the ranks. He was one of the top Pharisees and stuff like that. So this, we don't know much about it other than his nephew is there. The only reason I can imagine he even be there is he must have been coming up through the ranks of, I don't know, or maybe an assistant to a Pharisee? I don't, I don't know what the deal is. All we know is his nephew's there and he hears this whole thing. Well, now he freaks out. It's his uncle. So he goes to the barracks to tell his uncle what's going on. Well, then uncle Paul calls for one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell him. So he took him to the commander. Uh, Then, you know, and he spills the beans. Here's what's happening. You got all these 40 crazy guys. Nobody's going to eat, drink, until they kill Paul. They're going to ask you to send him over. So the centurion said, Paul, the prisoner, uh, sent for me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. And the commander took the young man by the hand, drew him aside, and said, What do you have to tell me? And he tells them, some Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him. Don't give in to them because more than 40 of them are waiting in ambush for him. They have taken an oath not to eat or drink until they have killed him. They're ready now, waiting for your consent to their request. Well, the commander dismissed the young man with a warning. Don't tell anyone that you've reported this to me. Then he called two of his centurions and ordered them. Get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen. Wow, that's a lot of people. To go to Caesarea at 9 o'clock tonight. Provide horses for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. And then he writes a letter to Felix. Claudius Lysias to His Excellency Governor Felix. Greetings. This man was seized by the Jews, and they were about to kill him. But I came with my troops and rescued him. You liar. That's not what happened. You're going to try to beat the crap out of him initially, you know. But he's not going to tell them that because he was a Roman citizen. You know. So I came and I rescued him, for I had learned that he was a Roman citizen. Okay. I wanted to know why they were accusing him. So I brought him to their Sanhedrin. I found that the accusation had to do with questions about their law, but there was no charge against him that deserved death or imprisonment. When I was informed of a plot to be carried out against the man, I sent him to you at once. I also ordered his accusers to present to you their case against him. Do you see the level of detail in the accounting what's going on? This happened. These guys got together. His nephew overheard, went, told the guy. He brought him to this guy. He came. This guy sent the letter. Here's the letter. He records down the letter, you know, what happened. So it's just a total way, difference now, of how they're recounting what's going on. So the soldiers, carrying out their orders, took Paul with them during the night, and brought him as far as Antipratus. Uh, the next day, they left the cavalry go on with him while they returned to the barracks. All the sword guys came back and just the cavalry took off. When the cavalry arrived at Caesarea, they delivered him, delivered the letter to the governor and handed Paul over to him. The governor read the letter and asked what province he was from, learning he was from Sicilia Cilicia. Cilicia. Sicilia. Sicilia. You're breaking my heart. Okay, he said, I will hear your case when your accusers get here. Then he ordered that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's palace. Well, now five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus. And they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. Because Ananias is the rat who told him to slap Paul. And all this got out of hand. And was in on this plot to have him murdered. And now he's got to go up to Caesarea because Paul escaped. Whatever happened to the guys with the vow? What do you think happened? No way did they starve to death. They they probably made him pay a fine or something. Don't you think? I mean, they probably came up with Something you know, go sacrifice a goat or something. I mean, I'm, I'm sure these guys figured out some way to get out of this thing. I'm sure when they found out Paul had gone to Caesarea, they all looked at each other and went, oh no. <laughs> because of this vow they take. Or they all suffocated or uh, starved to death. I don't think that's probably what happened. But I don't know. I don't even care. All right, so five days later, Ananias now has to go to Caesarea. With some of the elders and this lawyer to uh, straighten out this deal with, uh, with Paul. So now, when Paul was called in, Tertullus, their attorney, presented his case before Felix, who was the governor. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, Felix, you know, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. He's just lying through his teeth. They all hate this guy. The Jews hate the Romans, right? I mean, it was always static to the point that Roman, you know, not all that many years after all this, came down and totally destroyed all of Jerusalem, devastated the whole thing, crucified almost everybody in the city. and it was brutal, horrible. But... He's the attorney, he's going in front of the court, and they always start out butt-kissing. And so he's going, oh, Felix, you're fabulous. We love you, seriously, really. My family, we've got pictures of you on the wall. My kids say, how's Felix doing, you know? So he's just lying to the guy. But uh, in order not to weary you any further, I know you're a busy man, I don't know, Major butt-kisser. I would request that you would be kind enough to hear us briefly. If I'm listening to him, I would say, shut up and just tell me the case. That would be even more brief, right? But they got a kiss. Now, we have found this man, this Paul guy, to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect. See, that's a sect of these people who follow this Nazarene guy and even tried to desecrate the temple. So he seized him, which is not true. By examining him yourself, you will be able to learn the truth about all these charges we are bringing against him. Well, the other Jews joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. So they're all taking turns. Blah, blah, blah. And Felix is listening. Felix doesn't care much for the, for the Jews either. He just got stuck in a stupid place called Caesarea, and this is the place he's got to stay and rule over this, because that's where Rome sent. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you have been a judge over this nation. So he starts out kissing as well. So I gladly make my defense. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone in the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogue or anywhere else in the city. They cannot prove to you the charges they're making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which is the way Christians were often referred to. In other words, he's admitting I am a Jewish believer, uh, an answer, and I worship God according to this connection with the way, which they said was a Nazarene. It's a way of talking about I'm a Christian, all right, which they call a sect. I already told you about that. I believe everything that is, in, uh, that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. Well, after an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem. Of course, he's out there preaching the gospel to all these, all these Gentiles. After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and present offerings. And remember, he came loaded, you know, with forbear. They had collected all this money. And they were bringing it now to Jerusalem to help the poor people in Jerusalem that were struggling. And so, I mean, he, all he's been doing is being nice and giving and, you know, I haven't done anything. I was ceremonial, ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. Remember, he took this vow, shaved his head, going through all these ritual purification things as a Jew. All right. Now, there was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. But there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. Or these who are here should state what crime they found me in when I stood before the Sanhedrin, unless it was this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence that it's concerning the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial for you today. Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, but he had been hearing a lot about these Christians. Remember, Christianity is really starting to make a major impact in the world. This wasn't all done in a closet somewhere. And it was more than just this new philosophy about God. I mean, these Christians were going around and in this pagan culture were praying for people. God was healing people, doing miracles. I mean, some of the stories they are hearing is like, wow. So he knew, knew about this. So he adjourned the proceedings. And then he says, Look, when Lysias the commander comes, uh, I will decide your case. So he ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. So he's basically under house arrest. Uh, he's not in chains necessarily, although he's been in chains at times, through all those procedures of dragging him here, there, and the other. But uh, so, uh, put him under house arrest. His friends can take care of whatever he needs. Of. Now, several days later, Felix came uh, with his wife. Drusilla, Drusilla, who was Jewish, see? So Felix had a Jewish wife. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. (laughs) He was creeping him out. Talking about that, you know, that we're sinners and we're in need of God and there's a judgment day coming and Jesus came to make things right that have been set so wrong. And he starts talking about judgment and stuff. He's going, ah, you're creeping me out. So you may leave. When I find it convenient, I'll I'll send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe because that's the way things were done. So he's giving him all this stuff like that, yeah, and listening to him and telling him his stories. So he's very, very favorable to Paul, even acknowledging him. And giving him a Apparently, Paul just goes off preaching like crazy to him and starts to creep him out. He'd hoping that, you know, Paul would give him some money or something, some, some bribe, that so he'd let him off. Uh, so he sent for him frequently and talked with him, the whole time hoping that eventually he'll come and give me some money. Well, the whole time Paul comes, every time he's come, what do you think he's doing? He's preaching the gospel. And he's telling them about Jesus and telling them about the resurrection of the dead and talking about how Christ had died on the cross and everything he did. And they'd creep him out and then he'd, he'd call him again. And you know, he, he had to deal with this guy and he felt an affinity for him. He just wanted to find a way to let him off. Now, after two years had passed, it's a long time. Two stinking years they're playing this game, talking about getting things locked up in the courts, you know. And, and, and things like that happen in this country. It's still a stru- stru- how people can go and file something in the court and 20 years later it's finally heard it's just insane to me but anyway so he's there for two years he's under house arrest this entire time then felix was succeeded by portius festus but because felix wanted to grant a favor to the jews he left paul in prison so he's there so long that felix gets transferred out all right i'm getting out of here here comes the next guy, Portius Festus. He really has no charge. He knows everything Paul's been saying. He has no reason to keep this man in prison. But he does it anyway because he's trying to appeal to the Jews and, and make them happy. Okay, so now at this point, we flip over to the letter written to the Philippians. So it's this point that he writes this letter. Philippi is here. He's been here through here several times Um, we got the letter to the Thessalonians that we read Uh, we read the letter to the uh, Corinthians you know da 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 da. but now he's writing this letter to the Philippians and so the context of this letter to the Philippians Paul is in prison you know and it's got to be times very frustrating right and discouraging but yet you know, Jesus appeared to him, encouraged, so he knows he's on the right path. He got that encouragement. So now for two years, he's sitting in this situation, unsure of his status and what's going to happen to him. Uh, and it's in this context that Paul sits down and writes this letter. All right, so here we go now. Philippians, the first chapter, the first verse. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. On to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Very encouraging words. You know, I've quoted this verse many, many times when I felt like, you know, I'm such a loser. I'm never going to make it, you know. And to quote this verse where Paul says, he who started a good work in me will finish the work. All right. Why do you got to encourage yourself? Because it feels at times where it it ain't going to get finished. I'm not going to make it. It's, you know, I'm too much of a failure. This, that, or the other. Uh, So he gives this word of encouragement to these believers that what God has started, he will finish despite their present struggles. And remember, um, he has been struggling for two years under this prison. But just reading these words, knowing the context, gives it a whole different feeling, doesn't it? Knowing that, you know, what he's writing and, and experiencing. He says, is this right? It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel. And he was. Christianity was basically on, uh, on trial through this whole thing. And uh all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. So you know, he starts to miss his friends, and he misses the people that he'd been with, and two years in this stupid situation. <laughs> no end in sight. And, Man, I miss you guys. And I remember the times we had together. And man, I thank God for you. And don't man, just hang in there. God's going to finish what he started. I know God doesn't just leave things halfway. And this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight. So that you may be able to discern what's best. And may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Fulfilled or filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. They'd all heard what had happened to him. You know, maybe they were one of the ones who were warning him, don't go, okay? So they heard about it, so he's just encouraging him. Look, I want you to know what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. So he's, he's been preaching his head off in this situation. He says, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear he realizes that this situation and him able to stand before these major players and proclaim the gospel of Christ has encouraged the, uh, the other, uh, others watching to be more bold wherever they went and in their interactions and the people they did business with and the family they were around and his, Paul's example was a great inspiration to them. So he's celebrating uh, all of that. He says, it is true that some people preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. But others out of goodwill. Well, the latter, the goodwill guys, do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former, the nasty ones, <laughs> that are preaching the gospel, out of envy and so. What, what are they doing? He says, the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. So you've got people who are sincerely out there sharing the gospel. Then there's other people who just want Paul to get in trouble, so they went around. Hey, man, did you know Jesus loves you? (laughs) Have you heard about this Jesus who's been raised for that? Because they were convinced that the more they would talk about it, people would get alarmed, and then people, the leaders would freak out, and they would kill Paul and stop all this insanity. So they had the most evil of intentions in preaching the gospel. Uh, But what does it matter, Paul says? Who cares? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Now, think about this. I want to read that again. You got to, you got to hear this. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. Now, we understand the context that he's talking about, but, but as, as I read these words, I, I can't help but think of Christians who go at each other's throats because they're always undermining the other person's motives, you know? Well, that pastor, he thinks, you know, he's preaching gospel, but he's just an egocentric maniac. And, uh, <laughs> you should hear the stuff. Supp- oh, you probably, you probably heard worse than I've heard, you know? So and they underline, his motives, his motives is evil. Therefore, he is evil. Therefore, I can't listen to it. I will not have anything to do with it. Paul never even thought on those kinds of terms. He said, praise God. You know, or oh, that preacher on TV. You know, he has a friend who's related to an uncle that, you know, believes in Ouija boards. Or some stupid connection, right? I mean, you know. Well, you got in trouble. Because you, what was that preacher Joe. What's his name? Warren. Warren, Rick Warren. Okay. Rick Warren has been a major preacher and proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, there are Christians who don't like Warren because he takes some stands that they're too connected to one thing or the other, and they just go crazy, and they attack him, and you can read on the internet how Rick Warren is the Antichrist, or Rick Warren is filled with evilism. Apparently, I'm not very well known yet because I don't have that yet. When Mark is the Antichrist, you know I'm doing really well, all right? And it'd be one thing, it was, Christian, you know, evil people. These are Christians. And they're attacking each other's motives. They don't have anything because, sure, he's preaching. But what he really is, his motives is this, that, or the other. Or I going to follow that preacher because he's just trying to do this or that. Or I'm just And all the time, people are analyzing motives. And the motives is what makes something pure or evil to them. You know what I'm talking about, right? As long as, you know, a guy can do something really pure. And people go, yeah, but he's just such a jerk. He's probably doing it just because he wants something out of people. I don't care, he's doing something good, right? Or you got somebody who doesn't do anything good and the well, but he has his heart's in a good place. <laughs> well, I don't care about that either. <laughs> he's doing something bad, all right? We're so caught, and we shouldn't be trying to analyze the motives of other people's hearts. That's the kind of judging Jesus told us not to do. Now, instead of that, we do the kind of judging, people walk around and do all kinds of terrible things, well, I'm not gonna judge, that's not what Jesus was talking about. He's about trying to analyze people's hearts. You don't know their hearts. If you see somebody reacting in a certain way, you say, Well, I know why he does that, because he's just a jerk. You don't know that. He may be a jerk, but it's not your call. Or right, that kind of stuff you're not supposed to do. You should assume the best about people, which Paul will be talking about more in just a minute. But he writes, Man, it says, whether from false motives or true, who cares? Christ is being preached. And because of this, I rejoice. As long as Jesus is being advanced and the kingdom is being lifted up, you know. uh, And this has actually helped me to a great degree because I go to so many different churches. I go to churches that I think are absolutely bats in the belfry crazy. I go to churches that I disagree with almost everything they believe. I do. It used to really bother me in the beginning. As I'd be in this church, I think, ah, oh, but these people are these great, and they believe such and such. I just feel like I should say something about it. And one day, and I remember where I was at, I was in Africa, South Africa. And I was having one of these fits because I was with some church. I was like, <laughs> and, and I felt, you know, and I, you don't hear me say this very often that God told me this, but I just felt like the Spirit of God said to me, hey, I didn't bring you here to fix people's theology, I came here to help save their families. And I went, Oh, that takes a lot off my shoulders. <laughs> so now I go all kinds of crazy places and I don't care. And I was in a church recently, big church, that belonged to a very, very liberal denomination that believes all kinds of stuff that most of us, we disagree with. But I'm at this place and I'm hanging with these people. And, but the one thing about, even though if you push and you ask them the questions about this, they would give what I would think be the wrong answers. In spite of all that, they were always talking about Jesus and coming to faith in Jesus and getting ready to know Jesus and how you can have your life transformed by knowing Christ and here, here's where we can help you to grow in your faith and the church has grown by leaps and bounds and it's like a, a church I would totally disagree with and they probably, if we got into the doctrine would have thrown me out alright but man, I've just been celebrating this church you know, ever since I was there I think, this is awesome you know the reason it's grown is because they're talking about Jesus. Yeah, but, you know, they really believe that squirrels and chickens should be able to get married. Well, I, okay, I'm not into squirrels and chickens doing weird things, but, you know, that's, they're, you know, what do you care? They're preaching Jesus, you know. But people, ah! And they just go crazy. I just think people need to check their medication. I think you advance for the truth, preach. I'm against squirrels and chickens doing things. All right. I do not even that mean I don't even know what I'm talking about. But I'm just saying, whatever these things, or or doing communion this way, or they baptize, instead of baptizing in water, they sprinkle it. They sprinkle So what? Well, they're only getting saved in spots then. (laughs) Really? Yes, because it's supposed to be dead and you're just sprinkling. Oh, shut up. You know so that everybody goes crazy about stuff. I don't care. I think the Bible is clear that you're supposed to be stuck in water. I don't know where the sprinkling thing came from. Anyway. What am I talking about? I don't even know what I'm talking about here. Where was I? Verse 19. Okay. Uh, so it says, yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ and what happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I'm cons- convinced I'm going to be delivered in the situation that I'm at. And I read this, and I went, no, you don't get delivered from this at all, because I read the end already, you see. And, uh, but then, as I looked at the word, uh, there's some debate on what word should be translated. Um, some say, well, it, it should have been translated. I feel I'm going to be vindicated. And others uh, interpret it well. It means uh, I, I know it'll turn out for my salvation. Like somehow it had to do with his soul and stuff. I really think the proper word, and amazingly, none of these theologians called me to ask what I think, but uh, I think the proper word would have been vindication, because he does get vindicated, which we'll see, uh, to, uh, to an amazing degree. Anyway, you see, it's it all really complicated. Yeah, I, I, so I'm going with the, the deliverance, because he, he doesn't get delivered. He eventually gets killed, but he does get vindicated in making his case. So I think they used the wrong word there. There you have it. (laughs) I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or death. Death, why is he talking about death? Well, look where he is. He's under the arm of the Roman. The Romans is a big deal. Life was nothing to these people. They didn't value life. They were... I couldn't even act out what, what these soldiers were told to act out. Well, they take people and crucify them. And, you know, you know, remember Herod told the soldiers to go in and kill all the boys under two years of age in Bethlehem? Who does stuff like that? But they're just under orders. And I, we're talking 2,000 years ago. The gospel is so lifted. The value of human life in the world today is stunning. But you talk back time like that, even 1,000 years ago, life was not valid. They're still cut places in the world today where life is not valued much at all uh, and it's really sad to see it's not like Christianized western culture that values life uh, so they, they just think anything they, killing people was nothing to them it was really nothing, it didn't bother them in the least, so he's under the thumb of these guys, he knows he doesn't know what's going to happen well, we know because we look at the end he does eventually get killed so, you know, whether in the life or death, for to me, to live is Christ. I continue to live for Christ. I can continue to preach and proclaim the gospel. And to die is gain. Oh, <laughs> get out of here. Now, remember, Paul suffered incredibly. In fact, the moment he got saved, it was told to him what great things he will suffer for the kingdom of God. How would you like that to be your introduction to Christianity? <laughs> Welcome to Christianity. Man, is your life going to bite? All right? And that's so he knew it from the get go. Now, some would say, well, that was punishment because of uh, him persecuting Christians. I mean, I don't know how all that works out. There are People who would argue one way or the other. All we know is that his life was at times miserable. Remember, we've read it many times. Like in Corinthians, he says, Man, it's my horrible. And then we didn't know what he's talking And then he'd take a little while and he talked about his life, you know running from wild animals and this and there's this and hunger and thirst and everything's going uh, terribly and getting arrested and getting the snot beat out of me. uh, He says, I just wanted to die. This was Paul, the great apostle. So at this point, he's thinking, you know, if I just die, (laughs) I get out of here. (laughs) Big win, all right? For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. I'll continue to do things that will produce fruit for the kingdom of God. Yet what should I choose? I I don't even know. He's writing to these guys. He's bearing open and honest to them. He's in prison. He's been there for two years. Who knows what's going to happen? He doesn't know at this point. So I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ. He says, pardon me, I'd, I'd just like to be dead and move on with this. Because once we die, he says, we are immediately with Christ, which is better by far. Now, a lot of people have asked me these kinds of questions uh, uh, over the last year. Because A lot of people are coming in our campuses and some are new to faith. What happens when we die? Well, there's this sense, when, as Paul talks about, as soon as we die, our spirit immediately goes to be with Christ. And the joys of heaven are fulfilled. But yet, we're still not totally quite right. I don't know how else to explain it other than to tell you that God created man, body, soul, and spirit. And we're supposed to be body, soul, and spirit. And that's why there will still yet be a resurrection of the dead. Your body, at some point, will be resurrected. And you will, in fact, be joined again with a physical body. Hopefully, better looking than the one I leave behind. Uh, you know, and, and now it's an eternal body and, we'll be, and, and then you will be completely whole and be able to Experience eternity like God experiences eternity. So that whole resurrection thing com- confuses people. Because sometimes you read in the Bible, when they die, then they're just asleep. And, well, their body is asleep, but their spirit is with Christ. But what that's like is, I, I just don't think it's, it's not the way it's supposed to be, eventually, or going to be, when we are finally united with this new flesh that is no longer poisoned by sin. That's no longer, it's, it's their flesh that makes you want to punch somebody in the face. Right? It's your flesh that just wants to throw something at the TV. When you watch these idiots debate political thoughts, you know, it's your flesh that makes you want to, you know, accidentally run over your mother-in-law when she's picking up the paper in the front yard. It's, 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 it's your flesh that makes, I didn't say do it, I'm just saying, it your flesh that makes you want to wave your number one to the guy who just almost ran you off the road, hey you! You know, I, that's that part of you and it to make you think bad things. And all. That is that flesh that causes you to sin that you struggle with and you go, know, I shouldn't have done it. And then you ask God to forgive you and then you go out next week and then something else will set you off and you kind of lose it and you start feeling really discouraged after a while. Look, it's just, it, it, this is what it is until we get rid of this. That's what's going to make heaven so wonderful. We get rid of this and then you don't feel that anymore. Now you always feel like you're in church. Hallelujah. I don't feel like punching anybody in the face. Most of the time, all right. So, and even in church, right? You can be in church and somebody's still irritate you. You know, sit down to the next guy is like, <laughs> "Man, was the last time you showered?" You know. So, I mean, that can irritate you. But we'll get all that's going to change. Praise the Lord. <laughs> so, he said, "I don't know. You know, what should, what should I do? I desire to be with Christ, which is far better, but it's more necessary for you." That I remain in the body. So convinced of this. I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Now, the thing is, is he's not going to be with them again. Okay. He was a great man. A great man of insight. And the Holy Spirit would tell him things to come. But they didn't tell him everything. These guys still live like faith. Like the rest of us. You know, sometimes we always saying, well, I, I, know I know everything. If you're really spiritual, you know everything's going to happen. Really? Because look what Paul says next. Uh, which, I'm sorry, where was I? 27? 27. 27. Yeah, 27. What does he say? So whatever happens. What do you mean whatever happens? He doesn't know. <laughs> I'm, I, I know I'll stick around so I can be with you again. Well, he's never with them again. All right? They're going to grab him and sail his butt all the way over to Rome. And that's it for him. He's not going to be seeing any of these. He told the Ephesians, you know, I know the Lord told me I'll never see you again. But he didn't know what all that meant. He didn't know. Well, that's done. All right. He's sealed. He's going off to this thing. It takes a while for him to get there. But whatever happens, you know, so he, even he, lived by faith. Okay. Don't get frustrated when you, you're not quite sure what to do. Okay. Okay. It's called faith. If people are saying, you know, they're waiting around. Waiting for, I'm waiting for God to tell me everything to do. Well, first of all, it's, it's, it's a version of hyper-spiritualism. And all these people who claim God tells them are, think, every five seconds. Just, the Lord told me this, and God told me that, and the Lord said this, and, this, and I just... You might not want to hang too much for these people. I just think they're crazy. They're nice people. They're nice, crazy people. But they're crazy. And usually the ones who talk the most about that have the most mixed-up lives you'll ever meet. That's the thing that really shows you they're crazy. These are people who can't hold a job. They can't stay married. They can't open. Oh, they're the most spiritual people in the world. Oh, the Lord told me this. The Lord told me this. Everything. God tells them when to get up in the morning and what clothes to wear. I'm telling people to actually think like this. We don't have much of that because I pound it to death not to think in such ways. But uh, there's people who get caught up in this, They're so spiritual. And they say, oh, God just tells me everything to do. and God It's absurd. What life of faith is that? Wouldn't it be great if you always knew exactly what to do every day? That'd be awesome, right? Yes. Go here, do that, don't buy that, buy the other one, it's cheaper and on sale. <laughs> and don't run over that cat because you're going to get somebody in your neighborhood and then just, everything's clear and everybody knows what's going to happen. Oh, there comes that cat, I knew it was coming. No, would it by faith, which is kind of this, oh, let's not go that way. (laughs) You You know, even Paul lived by faith. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my presence, okay, so now he's backing off. I mean, I get to see you. I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Don't be afraid of people who are against you. In the middle of people who can't stand you or give you all kinds of grief as a Christian, man, just be nice to them. Smile at them. Be kind to them. Because he says, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed. <laughs> These people are attacking Christianity and stuff. When people are nice back to him, he, Paul says, it's really a sign. They're, they're in a bad place. But you will be saved and by God. Hopefully that causes them to turn to God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So he's encouraging them to connect with the fact that he's still struggling because there are struggling. Christians at times went through really awful, as we know, early Christianity was glorious and amazing on the one hand and suffered terribly on the other hand. When these people, the, the closest thing would be like if you lived in... Uh, you know, Iraq today, or Saudi Arabia, you convert to Christianity, you're a dead man. Your family, or, or you lose everything. And you lose your job, and I mean, are there still countries in the world that are still like that. There's people who, they, when they come to Christ, even if they're countries where they don't kill you, uh, you lose everything. No one will hire you, no one will have anything to do with you. Everyone suffers, you struggle terribly, uh, but they do it with joy. Because they know that the presence of Christ is in them, they know that eternity is worth more than any of this, there's a lot of people that really, really, really struggle, okay? And uh, thank God we live in a country where we don't face that kind of stuff. You know, most of our struggle is, you know, whether or not to go to the 9 o'clock service or the 10.30. All right. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ if there's any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if there's any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. See, what he's trying to say is he's talking from the college. He's locked up. He's in this prison. He's trying to connect with these people he hasn't seen in all this time. He's just spilling his guts about what he's going through and what's happening around him and I might die, I don't know, I kind of want to die, but I'll probably stick around, maybe we can see you guys again, but on the other hand, I don't know, whatever happens. And he says, look, you want to do anything for me, you want to do anything to encourage me, then be like-minded, having the same love, being one in the spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Well, holy stinking cow. That's heavy stuff. Look at the people. say, What's the will of God? This is the will of God. Christ in you. Learn not to be so stinking selfish. Be more concerned about other people than you are yourself. I got to tell you, that's hard for me. I really like myself. <laughs> and everybody's convinced that what they think is right. That's why you're irritated by everybody else, right? Because they're not thinking like you. And I got that presence like me. And he's trying, says, Man, don't do anything out of selfish ambition. Ow, that <laughs> knocked out a lot of what I do. <laughs> or vain conceit. That knocks out the other half. You know, Or in humility, value others above yourselves. Okay. Not looking for your own interest. Man, everybody's looking out for their own interest. You know what you do when you get up tomorrow morning when you'd rather sleep in? You're looking out for your own interest. When you go out to work and you have to deal with that boss or these people you can't stand, you know why you do it? You know why you suck it up? You know why you can be abused and neglected and underpaid and everything smile? Well? Out of your own interest. Because you need that, man. Hey, you work for me, shut up. <laughs> Somebody cast the devil out of her. All right, so everything we do is out of our own interest. And why you pay your bills and everything else, is everything's out of our own interest. And he says, don't just look out for your own interests; Look to the interests of others. I think, well, how is that even possible? I can barely keep up with my own interests. But that's what we're challenged to do. That's what we're called to do at some level to be more concerned about others than you are yourself. That doesn't mean you ignore your interests because they are your interests. And you don't do what I just said, you're going to wind up homeless in the streets. <laughs> okay? And that's not going to help anybody. But how do we, while out of necessity, take care of our own interests to yet, over the top of that, still exercise more interest in others? And that's a challenge. I mean, this is enough, this you is, this, is, this is enough. You know. That's why some of these doctrines that Christians argue about, you know, eternal security and this and that, just really, we argue about some of this, crime. who knows? We should be talking about this. This is the challenge of Christianity. Not about whether they get saved in spots or, you know, what kind of water or, just, you know. That is the great challenge. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus had. And then he goes into and starts to talk about the kind of mindset that Jesus had. Next Wednesday, we'll come back. We'll pick it up from there, talk about He just starts giving practical Christianity. It really helps to know to put it in the context of what he's going through at the time. Okay, we'll finish with this very quickly because it's a very short letter. Then we'll go back to the book of Acts and we'll pick it up and find out what happens now after... uh, Felix takes off, and now he's in charge, or now Festus, these guys, Felix, Festus, they sound like cats, right? So, so Felix leaves, then Festus the cat comes in, and now he's got to talk to Festus the cat, and, uh, and uh, <laughs> finds out what happens, and it really gets interesting, and it gets, and one of the most dramatic writing portions of, of uh, you talk about detail of a story, when, when it starts talking about Paul, on his way here, and uh, the big shipwreck that he has, and how Luke writes it out step by step and in detail. And the water did this, and the wind did that, and we threw this over, and, the, and then there was the water was this deep. And then we check, now the water is this deep. And it's like, you're on, like, like you're in a riddle movie. It's brilliantly written. Uh, and then sadly, the whole thing ends. Uh. <laughs> and then that's the book, finished the book of Acts. But then we still know the orders of the rest of the books. And he is basically writing now as he is imprisoned in Rome and then eventually he dies and then after that we'll finish up with the other uh, books of the Bible and, and then of course the last apostle was who? John who writes the book of Revelation <laughs> that's a heavy one <laughs> I'm not looking forward to that one <laughs> Because I don't understand most of it. <laughs> anyway, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and your encouragement. Lord, we read about a guy like Paul and he was so together. It's almost like, oh, why try? But we need to try and we need to be concerned and we need to do as he encouraged these Philippians to love people, to try and be on the same page, to encourage one another, to be more, not just totally obsessed by our own needs, and, but also to be concerned about the needs of others around us and, and live out this thing together so that we can be a great testament to those around us who don't know you. We thank you for this in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right. God bless you. See you next Wednesday.